Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Christopher Mokigana Harrington, joined fresh from his trip to Wegmans in upstate New York, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm great. As I returned to Wegmans, I discovered big news. Big, big news. What? Big shakeup in the W corporate world. I, shake, I scared you. Yes. I let you know that a major executive has left every day. Major executive. In the time that I've been paying close attention to W Business, which I would say is about the time the network launched to the present, there has never been such a big change to such a big corporate executive position in WWE as this one that we're about to talk about. Is that right? Yes. That's coming on. Oh, I don't know. I think some of those changes on the WWE network were pretty big. Yeah, I mean, as like far I as... I think Lou um, Schwartzman getting announced as a big deal and then never appearing again. Same that's with, true. Uh, and, or or uh, Lisa Marie Fox or whatever her name was. Lisa Lee I Fox. Thought those, you know, I, I, I guess like as far as... Um, head of international getting kind of kicked out of his job and, and leaving very abruptly was pretty weird. Yeah, but they don't name those officers on their uh, corporate site. They did it originally. They used to, yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to the the head of international guy for sure. Okay, he spoke at some of the WWE Network conferences. He was a former Spotify guy. And you're talking about what's his name? WWE International President Don. Look at Chris Harrington because I broke the story. Right. Uh, 2016 Garrett Meyer. Garrett Meyer. That's right. Yeah. So. You know, I, I thought that was a pretty big one. So they've, they've had changes. I think the elevation of Berrios and Michelle Wilson to uh, co-president is a big freaking deal mm-hmm. for WWE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, but what we're talking about we is talking the head about? of WWE Studios, Michael yeah. Lucy. He's gone. And uh, we'll go deeper into that a little bit later in the show. Uh, I want to take this moment to talk about Casper Mattresses. Casper Mattresses uh, sponsor a lot of different podcasts. They do not sponsor WrestleNomics. And do you know why that is? <laughs> they haven't asked us to yet. I don't know. Well, I think it's because maybe they meant to, but then they forgot to actually do anything about it, much mm. in the same way that I ordered a mattress from them, and mm. then they forgot to do anything about it, like deliver it. Well, they got they got your sale, so. Yeah, they got my sale, and they have failed to deliver the product that I asked them to deliver. First, they 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 notified us later on. Oh, we said we this would be the the foundation would be delivered on this day, and now we're going to move it out like three days. And then they also did not even show up with the stupid thing yesterday, the mattress oh, really? at all. Yeah, hmm. and there's no information on their website. There's no information on UPS's website. No one can give me an answer of where this thing is and why it's not being delivered oh, on goodness. the day they said it was. And uh, I'm a little salty about it because uh, I was not expecting to have to deal with this. I thought I'd deal with that on a Saturday as opposed to a Monday, which is a big difference for me because I have a lot of time on a Saturday and a Sunday to move things around mm. and Record pick up podcasts. boxes yeah. versus on a Monday, I go to work and I mm. do stuff and I don't necessarily want to go deal with a hundred pound box yeah. late at night. So if you need a mattress, night, night. Yeah. go to sleep number. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So I'm 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 pretty salty at them right now. So I know I was asking for a lot of recommendations from Ka- uh, of whether Casper mattresses were good, and people gave me nice and honest answers. But I, I got to say I'm pretty pissed at them right now for <laughs> pretty lousy customer service. So you didn't even know that was that was coming, did you? No, I didn't. I, th- I thought there was a sponsor uh, that I didn't. Uh, I wasn't aware of. And you know who else I'm angry at today? Who else? Baby rabbits. Hmm. They are the bane of my existence. What did baby rabbits ever do to you? Well, they, they, breed, they breed in my yard. Do they? 
and they breed in little holes in my yard. And my dogs, which are a, a poodle and a schnoodle, a schnauzer poodle, who are normally very sedate, very mm. calm dogs. They're more than a decade old. Mm. In dog years, they, they outrank even Brandon. Um, but they are bird dogs when they see rabbits. They go bananas. Mm. They go banana, as uh, uh, Pet Patterson would say. Yeah. And they are inconsolable about the fact that there might be rabbits in my yard. And so I have now put up a gate, like a fence around the rabbit hole, the hovel or whatever it's called. And the dogs spend all day just sitting by the door whining, wanting to go out and investigate these smells. And at night they spend their whining and pacing back and forth, waiting for the time at which I'm going to go let them back out again. And so they're keeping me up at night because they're so infatuated with these rabbits that might be out there. Like all day, every day, they're just thinking about bunnies, little baby bunnies that they want to eat. We've had this problem before. In fact, our Facebook, I I told you I don't use Facebook much, but my Facebook memory came up. And it it pointed out that two years ago was exactly the same time when we had the same problem. Oh, wow. Where they they bred in our backyard Hmm. and they're really small babies and we didn't want to move them because we didn't know if the mother would come back to a different place for them. And then it rained, and then they were going to drown. It was a whole ordeal. Yeah. So we we uh, we've struggled with with baby rabbits, so, and they continue to uh, uh, be a, a challenge for my family at this time. Yeah. So Mookie so. hates baby bunnies, and uh, yeah. So so not only did I not sleep well because I didn't get a new mattress, I didn't sleep well because my dog was whining all night. So uh, Casper is really in the muck right now uh, on a two count here. Mm-hmm. One time. Um, so that's where it lives. So how about you? How's your day? Are you a happy man? I'm fine. We, we already bantered whatever I have to banter about on the premium show. People are going to have to, you know, pay extra for that. How, how do they, how do they find out about that? They can go to wrestlenomics.com. That will redirect them to our Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestlenomics. If you prefer to access it at that URL and you can find, what did we talk about this week? We talked about new Japan revenue. Yeah, we did the balance sheet a couple of weeks ago and people were like, ah, what is assets, short-term debt management? Yeah. I don't care about that. But now we have real revenue. Revenue is real revenue. Real, real revenue numbers about like what the, how much money did the company take in for each year from going back all the way to the 1980s to the present. To 1980, not just the 1980s, to the beginning of the the 80s. entire decade of the 80s, 90s, the, the 2000s, whole 10s. And and Mookie went as far as opening up his MS Paint. Yeah. And sitting there and calculating pixels. On a graph to try to estimate what that revenue, what that spreadsheet would have looked like. Yeah. That's how dedicated he was. Yeah. Uh, we do a whole lawyer fee thing with uh, Constantine Kairos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I cut a promo on Triple Mania. Yeah. Um, and we end with a discussion about whether YouTube is important to WWE. Yeah. And uh, uh, newsflash, it's better than MySpace. Yeah, it's, it's making a lot more money than MySpace, I think. I, so I found like a crate. I was searching for like WWE, like website stuff. Like I'm always searching for like PDFs or things that might include the words W world wrestling entertainment. And so I was like, well, I'll look at some non PDF things, you know, branch out a little bit. And the first thing I found was like a YouTube account called world wrestling entertainment. And, and they had just uploaded undertaker versus hurricane helps. 
I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I click on it, and that's the match. It's Undertaker versus Hurricane Helms. But in the corner is the little Fox 8 Houston-like thing. I thought, that's weird. Why would WWE upload a match, but then have it from, like, a broadcast? And then have the name of the the broadcaster on there? That seemed really weird to me. This is WWE's own YouTube channel? Well, that's the thing. It's not WWE's own YouTube channel. They have, like, 52,000 subscribers, but it's uh, just, a like, a, a knockoff site. Mm-hmm. But it's called World Wrestling Entertainment. Mm-hmm. And they're uploading full matches. It's It was very odd to me. Mm. So, you know, I, I just wonder how much revenue is being siphoned with WWE. Maybe maybe there's no re- there's no ad that ran, though. So I wonder if maybe, like, that's how they're getting around it or what. Well, I, I, I think there's... I, I know you can make direct, you can directly make claims against your own IP, but I think like there's a lot. So there's there's obviously if you go on YouTube, there's a ton of WWE owned video that's not on their channel. But yeah, I think but they usually able, don't use their username as World Wrestling Entertainment. I guess that's what blew me. That's away. true. But what I'm saying is like I I think all the the WWE stuff that they own it's on other people's channels. I think it's either not being monetized by those people or it's being monetized, and that money is going to WWE. Because they've made a claim, or, or there's some identifier, or they they can track the audio and and know that oh that's that's RIP tracked. Okay, we're monetizing it. We're, yeah, we're making money off of it now. You got a million views on there. Well, that 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 money that ad revenue share is ours. Yeah. So, anyways, this 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 website looks remarkably like as if it's a real WWE website, mm. but uh, in no way do I think it really is. Mm-hmm. Especially because, like I say, there's there's a lot of weird like copyrighted stuff where it's clearly being coming from a channel mm-hmm. so i don't know mm. just really it baffled me it mm. baffled me brandon yeah your new media confuses and bewilders me it, it, it does that to old people we'll be at uh we'll be <laughs> let's put a picture of a baby bunny in our document to try to throw me off my game that's okay uh, I'm not going to be thrown off my game. In fact, you can try to throw me off my game Sunday, September 2nd, Hyatt Regency in Schaumburg, Illinois. Yes. Wait, wait, Part of we the have a podcast. Graphic. What's that? We have a graphic here. We do. This was Russell Nomix. I'm sorry. This Voices of Wrestling put this together. Nice. Uh, the podcast movement, Westwood One stage. It's at the Hyatt Regency in Schaumburg, which is where the StarCast uh, conference is happening. But the key is this: you don't need a ticket to go to this event. It's going to be in the lobby. Mm-hmm. So we'll be we'll be in the parking lot. We're going to be at a Winnebago. No, we'll be in the lobby apparently in a dedicated space mm-hmm. uh, with some nice equipment. And we're going to be recording on Sunday from ten to eleven thirty a.m. We're going to be followed by the VOW flagship, uh, a one man team of Rich Krejci and special guest stars. And I think even right after us might be another uh, VOW show with uh, is, is it called Sarah Loves Wrestling? Is that the name of it? Sarah and Sarah. Yes. Uh, Mart, Marty and Sarah love wrestling ah. live. Yeah, that'll be right after us. So it'll be a nice, like a, a very large um, VOW like segment, uh, which will be pretty cool. We're proud to be part of the Voices yeah. of Wrestling podcasting network. Are we going to be and, the guests on the the Voices of Wrestling flagship? Is that what's happening? I think it depends on our behavior during All In. Okay, you know, if uh, Cody Rhodes calls me out for not doing the work, Daddy, I yeah. might have to. Uh, I might not be allowed. And it depends on if our agents can agree on a fee and and uh, oh, our yeah, terms. Yeah, we might be a dark match, so we we might be there live for the. Yeah. we're we're audience. basically the dark match for for the Starcast, aren't we? 
or or were the pre-show man as far as you know Same he thing. Could be the WCW after show yeah anyhow uh so we we're going to be there we're going to also be at all in if you're coming to all in please you know check out uh, the WrestleNomics Twitter feed check out Mookie Ghana check out Brandon Thurston we'll be tweeting during the weekend here about what we're doing uh, I'll be there from Friday to Monday uh Brandon will be there from Friday to Sunday uh, and we look forward to meeting some of our uh, listeners. We look forward to meeting other personalities in the wide world of professional wrestling. Yeah. Uh, today we're going to talk about Neville leaving his WWE contract. We're going to talk about some indie stars in North America, some exclusive WrestleNomics insights from Brandon Howard Thurston. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about the bombshell of bombshells, Mr. Michael Lucy leaving WWE Studios. Formerly WWE Films, formerly blood sucking money hole. Um, formerly, formerly, <laughs> current, currently, possibly forever, yeah, perpetually, yeah. We'll find out. Uh, let's talk about Neville leaving his WWE contract. So, uh, breaking news this week: Ryan Satin of uh, the Pro Wrestling Sheet dot com uh-huh. tweeting out that uh, Neville was going to be released from his contract and having a. Later, he had the Observer like confirm that Neville was no longer under contract, yeah. and that he he's apparently free to work wherever. Right now, right now he's free. He could he could be appear on a non WWE wrestling event right now. He could be on the end of this podcast for all we know. Hmm. There's it could there's, be Rich Krejci's mystery co-host. He could the be. Flagship. In fact, I th- I think there's a, there's a big event happening um sa- Saturday night. And that Cody Rhodes was just talking about how much he missed Neville, and Matt Jackson replied, "Me too. I just talked to him the other day. He's good." Yeah, it's interesting. So, is there a value of adding someone like Neville to a card like that when the card is already sold out, and that he would probably be a mystery star? So he's not selling necessarily any views up front. Hmm. If I'm Neville, I want to be on All In because that's especially if I'm going to be used in, in a halfway decent way. That's a big opportunity for me to kick off my indie career or my second run on the indies. I I agree with you. I think think that the challenge with Neville right now is that he is you know he's not enough of a star that he can sit out on the sidelines for a year, come back and and have everyone everywhere know who he is. Uh, and so it's important that he's kind of aligning himself from the very start with you know what's cool in wrestling today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can, you can leave and be a Damien Sandow or you can leave and be a, a Cody Rhodes. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's different paths that different people are going to take. Mm-hmm. And so I would imagine he would make a lot of sense for someone to be appearing at all in. And he's a hell of a lot more likely than Daniel Bryan or CM Punk to be there. Yes. Daniel Bryan has not re-signed yet, though. He thinks his contract is up September 1st. I don't know if that means non-compete is up September 1st, but. But we also think that Daniel Bryan is most likely going to sign and is probably just, you know, getting a lawyer to look at all the details and try to make sure he's going to get paid a whole bunch. Yeah. Well, some of us uh, are holding our hope. All but... his TV appearances and all his merchandise and all the other things that they have for Daniel Bryan. Yeah. And his line of Taekwondo schools that he's going to open throughout the Midwest. He did lose on SummerSlam, though. Oh, my. Yeah. So there's no winner's purse for him. No. But uh, so Neville's going to go on the indie scene, and I'd have to say Neville, Neville, you know, probably, I think he's he's a uh, high value player in the sense that for the indie talent that's available today, that's not locked down. You know, there's a lot of people who are probably not going to be locked down soon. You know, anywhere from Kenny Omega to the Young Bucks to other people that have been talked about publicly, mm-hmm. right? 
Uh, but they technically are under contract now. You have Jeff Cobb and Brian Cage and people like that that I kind of call that next tier of kind of rising star or Keith Lee. And all of them have pretty much been gobbled up at this point by different promotions signing them to contracts, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So he is out there as an independent contractor. You know, he's one of the more valuable people. I think he's even more valuable than even, say, a Rich Swan or something. Neville? Um, Neville, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, so Neville's run I on think TV he's got a- because Neville's run on TV was longer than someone like Rich Swan. I think Rich Rich Swan was hurt by by the you know whatever it was the domestic violence incident he had, and uh, yeah, it, yeah, like like the arrest or the the uh, the, the criminal criminal incident yeah. for sure. And then also the fact that like Neville had a, a good run with Dragon Gate before that and was was quite a uh, popular star. And you know with his his UK background, as we know, UK wrestling has been undergoing a little bit of a transformation in the last five years here. And so um, I think he, he like a lot of the other kind of breakout big UK stars, Will Ospreay, Zack Sabre Jr. He's got a lot of opportunity to also be a big kind of star, both in the UK and also internationally. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's going on the indie scene and you kind of been bringing it upon yourself, uh, a discussion you and I had 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 that you've really taken to the next level, which was, Who's big on the indies? Who matters? How do I figure out who matters on the indies? And uh, this is kind of similar to an experiment that I sometimes run, which is I've done the Mookie Ghana 500 or the Mookie Ghana 1000. Mm. Did you ever see those on my, my blog? Yes. You do that based on wins and losses. Uh, it's right? some complex formula yeah. where it's wins and losses. You're trying, time, you're trying position to put on the card. illustrated out of business. I do all this wacky crap. Yeah. But you basically came up with a different way of measuring things where you said, let me look at some information based on maybe where you're working and then see if I can put you into some kind of category. So can you explain to me the methodology of this Brandon Howard Thurston-esque sheet? Yeah, there's some Brandonomics going on here. So I, I guess I, this this came out of asking myself the question, like, who's who's hot on the indies? Who's a Who's an indie name? And you know what I mean by indie name, right? Like, I guess like an indie name to me means like, this is an independent wrestler who, who travels around the country, maybe even around the world, and is booked in a lot of high profile independent promotions that have a pretty good presence online. So who are these people? And, and I guess like as a trainer too, I think about this, you know, when I talk to people about, you know, what kind of goals they need to set or how they need to gain traction on the indies, especially now that we're ever more in an era where WWE, for one, actually cares about what you do on the indies. They actually value your independent wrestling success. They don't, they're not just looking for big-time athletes. They, they, they do sign up guys who are, and women who are a big deal on the indies. Uh, so what I did, uh, at first, I, I collected uh, – Six promotions. I went so basically, I went into cage match. And if you ever gone into cage match, you can look at promotions as well as wrestlers. So I went into the into some of these promotions. I picked out six promotions that I that I think just subjectively, just going with gut feeling. There's no super technical methodology in this, but I picked out six promotions that I consider to be like the six big promotions that are based in the U.S. that are most influential when it comes to who becomes a top independent male wrestler. And those six promotions are. PWG based in what let's say what states each of these are based in if you can okay PWG which 
runs and and has run in Reseda, California. They're gonna probably gonna run in some other town near LA in their in their new venue. But yeah, they're in California. Evolve runs all over the country. Um, and it's, it's booked by Gabe, right? It's booked by Gabe Sapolsky. Uh, AIW, which is in Cleveland. AAW, which is in Chicago. Beyond Wrestling, which I believe runs throughout like uh, New England states like Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. And then CZW, which is essentially Philadelphia, but they, they run a, a town in New Jersey, I think Camden, which is really close to Philadelphia. Um, and, and Delaware every now and then when they're doing the, the big tournament of deaths, right? You, you as a deathmatch lover would know better than I would. Uh, so, so this is very West Coast and Northeast centric. Your original list here, right? Yeah, this is this is one promotion on the West Coast, Evolve, which is kind of all over, and four promotions that are on the. Well, I mean, Chicago's uh, Chicago's Midwest. Midwest. Yeah, I'll give you a little Midwest, but we're yeah. we're probably missing anything that's happening in the South or Southeast here. Mm-hmm. And and be, okay. and before you alarm bells go off, I'm going to do another one that includes. 26, well, no, 24 additional promotions for a total of 30 promotions throughout the world to try to get in, get yet another measure. But we end up with a very similar list, I think. There, aren't a, there isn't a huge difference in who the top people are here. But what, I, what I'm doing is, again, so I took those six promotions. And I asked myself, so who's getting booked in all of those promotions or, or in, in five out of six or four out of six or three out of six or two out of six or whatever? Right, and the result that I get just in those in the big six, let's call it, is Joey Janela is number one. He was booked in all, and this is just um, in the year 2018. So that's the sure. timeline I'm dealing with here. So January 1st through like the middle of August. Joey Janela. Joey Janela is the only one that is booked in all six. Uh, DJ Z is booked in five of them. Keith Lee was booked in five of them. Matt Riddle was booked in five of them. Then we get to to the fours. They are, there are how many who are booked in four out of six? There are eight. Brody King, David Starr, MJF, Maxwell Jacob Freeman, Myron Reed, which is not a name I, I, I recognize, Trey Miguel, Walter, Wheeler Utah, and Zachary Wentz are the, num- are the four out of sixes. And uh, I don't know if we need to go through the three out of six. Yeah, so, so you have about 13 guys there that are at the top list. So you have Janela, who's, you know, really made a name for himself on his independent promotion, promotions with his, you know, spring break shows and his WrestleMania weekend stuff. And then also his 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 use of social media in a, in a really clever way. Uh, and we definitely saw him wrestling on a couple, even the WrestleCon show. Yeah, and I think, I think a big, big piece is his self-branded shows. Uh that he's done it, I believe, in conjunction with WN at WrestleMania weekend. And, and, and there was just one, Joey Janela's Lost in New York, right? There's these self-branded shows that are, I think have done a lot to get him over as a name. And, and I honestly think a lot of it, too, is the social media. Like, the fact that he has those, like, Final Fight-style social media videos where he'll have those great animations that are being done for him to promote his shows. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's just been amazing in, in terms of, of making things make sense. And also the absurdity factor. Mm-hmm. Of it, it, it kind of reminds me of Chikara back in the day, where Chikara would have that cachet of like, there's really silly, strange things happening here, but it's kind of cool. And I feel like that's back with you know the Invisible Man and a Battle Royale, things like that. Uh, then you have DJ Z, who was just on the uh, Triple Mania show I watched last night. Okay. Uh, Keith Lee, who just got signed by WWE. Matt Riddle, who just got signed by WWE. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brody King. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I have anything to say about Brody King. He was on the ESW show that I was on last night. Uh, 
he's wrestled in, in, in PWG were, were the two that he was not booked in AIW and CZW. So he's wrestled for PWG evolve AAW fact, beyond. And we have a whole discussion about Brody King, a couple, cause he's got all the big chest tattoos and whatnot. He has a lot of tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very um, distinctive looking wrestler for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Starr, which uh, I also saw on WrestleCon weekend mm-hmm. and uh, has, has definitely been a, uh, I think he's, he's done a really good job really getting his name out there in the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and MJ Friedman, who uh, MJF, who I've heard a lot of people talking about is kind of a next big thing. Um, and then you mentioned like the people that, you know, should probably be on our radar a little bit more. Myron Reed and Trey Miguel. Yeah. Like, like radar um, is the key word there. I, that's, that's something I've been thinking about for the last uh, several months is like, who, who should be on your radar if you're trying to pay attention to who's emerging talent in pro wrestling. And I guess this is a way that I'm trying to get hints about it. It's not a definitive answer. And I don't even know what I mean by that, by, by who's on the radar, but I think this is a, a good lead. Yeah. Myron's only 21. He's, he's only been wrestling for about two years here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he started in glory pro, but like definitely, definitely someone very interesting to uh, kind of see hitting, hitting this here. And the same with, um, uh, Trey Miguel. Yeah. Can you talk closer to the mic? Trey Miguel, there you go. Uh, who who also has a pretty good look, I think, uh, from what I've seen with him. So, uh, the Fresh Prince of Midair is his nickname. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good name. Yeah. Um, the other piece would be follow that with Walter, who uh, unquestionably kind of been a huge star in the indie scene, social media world, at least. Yeah. Somebody um, not mentioned here is, and he's, he's further down on the list, but PCO, Pierre Carole, uh, I, I, I was present for his match at Joey Janela spring break at, at many weekend, Walter versus PCO. And I think that match did a lot to, to make PCO as this, you know, this cult figure and turn, turning him into somebody who's got more and more name value. He's booked in three out of the six promotions PCO is. And then uh, I don't know very much about Wheeler, Utah, and, and Zachary Wentz. Neither do I, so I don't, I don't want to get into it. Uh, but, yeah. Okay, so that was our big six. Uh, so then you wanted to expand from that. You wanted to challenge yourself a little bit more. Yeah, so the first thing that jumped out to me is, like, okay, you've got a, b- a bunch of men here, and, uh, and, and women are seldom ever booked in PWG or Evolve. Uh, AIW does book women more. AAW maybe somewhat. Beyond does. Beyond, of course, does a lot of intergender wrestling. And CZW, maybe they book women sometimes. So anyway, what I did was I said, well, let's let's try to grab six promotions that'll give me a better idea of like who are the the female wrestlers who are emerging on the indies or getting booked a lot on the indies. So I've got a tab in this spreadsheet called U.S. Women's Big Six, and there are and the, so the promotions I chose were Shimmer, Shine, AIW, WWR, which is like the Beyond owned women's promotion, Beyond itself, and WSU, which is, I believe is like the CZW-owned women's promotion. So the so we get nobody's in six out of six, nobody's in five out of six, but we've got six that are in four out of six, uh, and those are Karen Q, Kimberly, Tessa Blanchard, Jordan Grace, Lufisto, and Willow Nightingale. And I've certainly heard a lot of Jordan Grace uh, social media this year. Uh, Tessa Blanchard, obviously, uh, bouncing around the different companies. I think she just signed an Impact deal. Uh, but yeah, that's interesting, kind of hearing those different names. And then what's funny is is kind of the next group of names on there includes a couple guys too, like Joey Janela and MJF. 
and uh, Penelope yeah. Ford, who I think is Joey Janela's girlfriend, who also often appears with him as his manager. Right. So we, even even in this uh, way of measuring it, there there's still some male names appearing. But uh, yeah. Okay. So and, uh, how can you expand this even more? So I went to. You know, the UK scene is much different, if nothing else, because of the travel situation, right? So um, for, for all our, our UK wrestling fans out there and European wrestling fans, I, uh, I, I knew that people would be asking me, but what about the UK and Europe? So I picked six promotions. Uh, again, this is just subjective. Six promotions from Europe that, I, that I'm guessing are influential. Progress, ICW, RevPro, OTT in Ireland, WXW in Germany, and Fight Club Pro in the UK. So we've got one person who is booked in all six of those promotions and that's Walter. And then we've got, wow, 15 who are booked in five out of the six. Hmm. And that is Jordan Devlin, Martina. I believe that's moth, the session moth, Martina, Jeff Cobb, who is an American, actually Mark Haskins, Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis, David Starr, Zach Sabre, Jr. Travis Banks, a kid, Adam chase, Pete Dunn, Jonah rock, and Keith Lee. And uh, people in Aussie Open are Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis, it looks like. So, um, again, you see a couple names that are, you're going to see in PWG, a couple names that are part of the WWUK uh, brand, like Mark Haskins, right? No, and, uh, Haskins not part of the WUK brand. Oh, he's not? No. I'm thinking of somebody else? No. Travis Banks is, I believe. Sorry, Mark, Mark Haskins used to be on Impact. That's what I'm thinking of hmm. him from. Uh, and, uh, as you can see, we're experts on the independent wrestling scene. I know you Um, can see the struggle I'm having here. Uh, and then, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. Who is had a big year in new Japan among other places. Yeah. Um, but, and Jonah rock is the other guy that I think of a lot as, as a PWG name that really started exploding in the last two years here. Yeah. And I think he's from Australia. So speaking of Australia, I grabbed three promotions that I I think, I, I guess I'm just grabbing these because these are three promotions that progress worked with recently uh so that's mcw which i believe stands for melbourne championship wrestling epw in perth pwa in sydney um and there are let's see eight wrestlers who are booked in all three of those promotions in australia robbie eagles jimmy havoc pete dunn tony storm trent seven tyler Bate, and travis banks and is is tony storm the, the really tall woman that I saw at, at WrestleCon? No, that's Madison Eagles. Madison Eagles. I'm surprised she's yes. not on this list here. But, uh, you have her down at two. She, she yeah. doesn't work EPW. There you Could go. be a politics thing a lot of times. I, I, think, of I think Madison Eagles runs PWA in Sydney. I think that's the deal there. At least that's what Cage Match told me when I was looking this stuff up. Mm-hmm. So now we, we've added in these the European ones. So now you've added US Big Six, the Women Big Six, the Europe Big six, the Australia big six, and six plus six plus six plus three is twenty one. And there's and, there, and there's overlap world. in the men's and women's big six as well. Gotcha. Because beyond a thing an AIW, because because beyond an ARW and AIW are, are in both the men's and the women's big six. Uh, so, okay. but what about all? But what about my favorite promotion? So I, I came up with quite a few more, and so the total gets up to thirty. Uh, so all the promotions that we already mentioned, plus Game Changer Wrestling, Defy in Seattle, Limitless in Maine, Smash in Toronto, Nova, I believe in Virginia, Fest, I believe in Florida. 
IWC in Pittsburgh first in Minnesota, PWX in North Carolina, Jakara, and Bar Wrestling in California. Yeah, and, and the only thing I'd say is it, it does still seem a little light on probably the southeast area where you have like, what is it, the Scenic City Invitational and, and which companies are running things like that. Right. I'm sure I'm, I'm going to get uh, hate mail Some from, hate mail, from yeah, Dylan Hales. From, from our, our, our southeastern friends saying that once again, southeastern wrestling is, is not getting its due. I, I, yeah. So I, I, I could include in this, uh, I think S- Southern Underground Pro is, is one that might be included in this. Um, AWE in, in Atlanta, maybe you could include in this too. Again, this is not meant to be a definitive answer, but like, no. all right, let, let's get some suggestions about who's getting booked a lot in a lot of different places across the country and across the world. So that's a, a total of 30 promotions. And, and, the, and I think that Joe might, might complain about the lack of Texas representation here too. N- name it. Well, yeah. So I thought about Russell Circus, but like Russell Circus hasn't run a show since March. Mm. So they seem to be on hiatus. They, they ran in Austin. Um, so when you add up all these, is there, is there, are, are you going to actually get anybody who works even more than half of these places? You will get, two people who work more than half of these places. Interesting. Joey Janela works 17 out of the 30. David Starr works 16 out of the 30. And I think what was most surprising to me is some of the big names that I think of on the indie scene here mm-hmm. hit your list, but they're not as high. Uh, Colt Cabana, Joey Ryan, Tim Thatcher, uh, Matt, Matt, Matt Cross, and AKA M-Dog, uh, Fred Yeti. Yeehaw. Um, Ehi, sorry, Ethan Page, um, you know, Chuck Taylor, Penta, uh, L0M, Ray Phoenix. Yeah. You know, they are they're much further down on this list than I would have thought. And you have a couple names on here that that jump up that we haven't even mentioned, like the the person you have in the the tenth row, number ninth place. Mm-hmm. So Shane Strickland, who's Kill Shot and Lucha Underground, he's booked in eleven out of the thirty places. Yeah, MJF, you mentioned, Kimberly, who've mentioned, Jeff Cobb, who you've mentioned, Walter, you've mentioned, Matt Riddle, who you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jimmy Havoc as another one who uh, uh, really jumps up mm-hmm. when you look at it this of way. Course, of course, he's match- he's, he's from the UK, so he, he did very well in the uh, in the Europe list I did, right? Or did he? Yeah. Maybe he didn't. Uh, no, he didn't. Keith Lee, who uh, we've already mentioned. A.R. Fox, who you, you actually just mentioned um, you had wrestled him or done to him. I have not wrestled A.R. Fox. Jimmy I'm Havoc's sorry, way down. He appeared at ES- ESW, correct? He's appeared at, at uh, yeah, a handful of ESW events. Now, Jimmy Havoc's way down there in the uh, at, with only three out of the big six in Europe. So, anyway, yeah. yeah. But A.R. Fox is, is in nine out of the, uh, the 30. Yeah. So, it just – I think you could make a pretty strong argument that this has been the – the 12-month era of Joey Janela, that he yeah. has really had an outsized impact on the indie scene and made a name for himself. And David Starr has also probably made a pretty big name for himself over the last 12 months. Yep. Uh, Walter has definitely made a huge name for himself over the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. And of the three, I could see Walter, Walter being uh, the most likely of the three to probably appear on national television. On what national television program? anyone's just because of his size mm-hmm. and strength. Um, and I know there were, there were rumors about him being signed al- along with Keith Lee, who was signed by uh, WWE. Uh, I don't know what the deal is. I heard that uh, he, he runs the school that's associated with WXW and he doesn't want to leave that. So yeah, that's that we've all heard things like that before. So um, that's very possible. Uh, but yeah, I think this is a great uh, thing. If people want to see this list, where can they go? How can they see it? 
Uh, they can get it in our doc. I don't know. Should I share this publicly? What do you think? I think if you choose to tweet it out, that's that's your choice. Okay. So mm-hmm. if you want to share it and, and kind of gain the anger from the masses that way, that's a good idea. Yeah, I don't um, know if I want to gain the anger from the masses, though. <laughs> I, think I'm, I think I've had my fill of that. Uh, but talk to me a little bit more about what does this tell us? So, you know, in today's era of, of indie wrestling, we hear every week, all in sold 10,000 tickets. Yeah. MSG is going to sell 15,000 tickets. Right. This is the, the time to be an independent wrestler. Screw WWE. Screw Impact Wrestling. You just want to be on the indies now, and you can just start raking in that money and printing it out. You sell your uh, it's got to be the best time to make money, and promoters are just grabbing it hand over fist. Is that the reality for these people today? I think so. There's a perception that, and I think, and there's a real a reality that independent wrestling has gotten uh, more popular. I think there's probably more indie promotions than ever. Certainly in this era of of wrestling, uh, there's more promotions than ever. The the wrestlers, I think, especially the the name wrestlers, the probably the names that we've just mentioned. Their fees relative to the fees of their predecessors only a few years ago in similar slots who are now all kind of signed up, but they're they're, they're making more on fees. I think maybe with independent wrestling becoming more popular, maybe they're selling more merchandise. I don't know how we would ever extract that sort of data, but I'm I'm guessing merchandise sales are pretty good for wrestlers. Um, fees are are improving for the top wrestlers, Is and I it, think I think there's a better platform to do merchandising for indie wrestlers today. You know. In the old days, it was, okay, you as an independent wrestler got to go find someone who's willing to print T-shirts. Yeah. You got to order a whole bunch of them in advance. Mm-hmm. You got to guess on sizes. You got to guess on designs. You got to carry them around with you everywhere. Mm-hmm. And now Pro Wrestling Tees is out there and is saying, here's all the things I'll do for you. Yeah. You have to be and a star of a certain level, though, to even have access to that. Though. Absolutely. But I'm just saying, even a guy like Brody Lee, when he was on the indies, he was out there printing his own shirts and doing it. Right. And now, if a Brody Lee or a Neville goes back on the indie scene, they could, in theory, start mer- merchandising their own T-shirts tomorrow, and they don't have to spend a penny of their own dollars. They can just let somebody else basically take care of all of that crap. Right. I, if you want to bring merchandise to shows, though, you have to. Yeah, you would. You would order in advance. But I just mean like it's such a better platform and design technique. That it's not just you're dealing with independent T-shirt retailers. You're dealing with a pro wrestling T-shirt retailer. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing that the thing that you and I have talked about in the past is that a lot of people haven't realized how much PWTs has grown over the last few years, acquiring all the other brands. You know, all the other pro wrestling T-shirt brands that we used to think of separately. From was it Barbershop Window and so forth. So were those separate businesses that Pro Wrestling Tees actually acquired and merged with? I thought so. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Listeners, tell us tell us if we're right or wrong on that. Okay. But my 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 belief was that yes, they acquired them. Okay. So I don't know. So I think one of the untold stories here is that while independent wrestling seems to have gotten a lot more successful, especially just I don't know non W wrestling in general, I think has gotten a lot more buzz, maybe more popular. You see things like All In sold out, ten thousand seats in minutes. Do you think if it wasn't called All In, if ROH ran that card, would they get to 10,000 people? Maybe. I mean, they got they got more than 10,000 alongside New Japan for an MSG show. Um, I think but you could make an argument. It's a little bit like AJ and Impact. AJ is an independent star. Yeah, I, where, think, I think the All In brand, whatever that means, it's a one-show brand for now. I think the All In brand is a cooler brand than Ring of Honor for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
that's what I was going for. Yeah. So sure. while independent wrestling, you know, we see things like All In sold out, the Ring of Honor, New Japan MSG show sold out. And I think what's happening there is, first of all, it's not just about the stars. I think that that's a factor, but it's the fact that they're going to make history. It's going to be a historic moment to be, you know, when, when you're buying that ticket, we, we, we've got tickets to All In. It, part of the draw is that you're going to be a witness to history, I think. Part of the draw to being there at MSG in April is going to be you're going to be a witness to history. And uh, we'll see if that, that sort of business can be repeated over time. So I think also what's happening, though, is that maybe there's more promotions than ever. And these promotions that are we think of as the super indies, a lot of the promotions that I just mentioned, uh, maybe their business isn't picking up strongly while the business for independent contractors on the indies wrestlers is. I've had some promoters tell me that, you know, the, you know, attendance is down for us, even though, you know, it, all this buzz is happening for independent wrestling. Uh, so you've got to try to monetize it through other ways. And it looks like the, the YouTube revenue has returned. So there's a way to make money through that. You can run your own pivot share. I don't know how successful these pivot share services really are for these individual promotions. I believe progress has got a strong one and they collaborate with a lot of others, which is a big thing that you can do through pivot share. And it will be interesting to see whether, you know, WWE Network version 2, 2.0, whether mm-hmm. they there's a buying spree that mm-hmm. goes with that, where they say, hey, we want to put a high-tier thing, and we want a whole bunch of extra content there. I, uh, You know, it's been my belief for a while. I think when, when that tier launches, it's going to have progress, evolve, ICW on it. I mean, I will always go back to the fact that George Berrios brought up ICW. He named them. to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> in an investor thing. And you're just like, this does not sound like a guy who's going to dro- name drop ICW on accident. Right. Uh, unless there was a video deal that was already inked in the books. Yeah. And then Meltzer always says like, oh, yeah, this just depends on what day day it is and what Vince thinks of it. And I don't know. It just seems to me that why would you why would you do it on the 999 tier? You have to do it on a higher price tier. And that, that, yeah, it's, that especially with the new TV deals, it's really clear that the value is not trying to just expand what you the nine ninety nine tier today, right? And 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 I think a big holdup on the tier tiering is getting the deals done. So the U.S. deal is done, U.K. deal is supposed to be done by the end of this year, India deal, which may or may not be consequential to what we're talking about here, that's supposed to be done in the middle of next year. So maybe in two thousand nineteen, we're going to see this stuff play out. And it will be curious because, you know, they bothered to put a slide on it on the Business Partner Summit and hold themselves accountable for it. Yeah. And it's also shocking to me that they would put a slide up that says WWE Network 2.0 and then they'd say, we're not going to name it that. But they did trademark. And that's not to say, you know, people forget. Remember when the WWE Network was going to launch a year earlier? Mm-hmm. And there's that slide that says coming in, you know, 2012 or 2013 or whatever it was and it didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, WWE did, did trademark WWE VIP, right? Yes, but we also do know that that's their name they use for their high price ticket uh, uh, meet and greets. Though yes. the description of the trademark sounds a heck of a lot more like a video service than it does a meet and greet service. Yes, so I would expect um, a, a tier, a whatever it is, twelve ninety nine, thirteen ninety nine, fourteen ninety nine tier of the network, where as part of your membership, you get yes access to these indies. Of, of the uh, of the prestige that of the indies that we're talking about, I, I think progress I, ICW and evolve, and um, and I think you'll get like perks on tickets, perks on merchandise, maybe a vote in the W Hall of Fame, 
whatever else they can come up with. Now, boiling this down, is this just pro- promoter discontent? Because is what promoter discontent? Well, just this whole story you're telling me here mm-hmm. about wrestler fees being up. Yeah. Is there the element of saying, you're right, you cannot run a show on the same payroll as you ran five years ago or three years ago? Mm-hmm. Everybody, but they're getting paid fair market share now. And previously, you could get away with a hot dog and a Coke and 10 bucks. And now you, you actually do have to pay these guys 20 bucks to say that, what they're doing. Or right. the flip of it being what used to be $500 is now $700. And that's a little bit of inflation plus a little bit of just guy, you know, everybody is out there realizing that they're worth more than they ever thought they were. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think as if, if a wrestler can get such and such a fee, then that, that, that's, that's not the worker's fault. Is that a hard conversation for you to drill into your wrestlers? What do you mean? What are you saying? The ask for your true market value. Is that something that, that kids get intuitively, or is that something you have to struggle to kind of beat into them is the idea that they shouldn't work for free? I think that's a, a thing that nobody gets right away, especially because there are so many wrestlers. And I think the... The tradition of, of independent wrestling is not to teach anybody about any of that stuff because I don't know the a lot of the training a lot, a lot of the training is done by by people who have never made a lot of money in wrestling like I'm including myself but I but I have an idea of like how to start to make some money and I do make some money in wrestling it's not a lot but it's some money and I have an idea of like how to respectfully ask for a fee that's more in line with the actual value of, of my labor. So I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've done a lot to talk to people, talk to wrestlers, our students about how to, you know, ask for a fee. And uh, there are times where I think wrestlers wrestle for free. And I'm, I'm, I understand like it's, it's a, you're wrestling for the opportunity to get your foot in the door. Uh, but I think eventually you need to be paid. Uh, especially if you're on, this is on the the low, lowest level, the local level. Like if you're selling tickets for somebody, you you need to be paid, and you and I think you should be paid a bonus on on your sales. You should be paid a, a commission, like you should be paid one or two dollars per ticket you sell, plus a fee. You're directly selling the tickets for the promoter. Um, one guy who's uh, could be joining uh, the the new patron saints of wrestling film division mm. would be Mr. Michael Lucy. Because mm-hmm. he is out of WWE Studios. He is. Due to a shakeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was reported on Deadline. Uh, it says that there was a clash with co-president Michelle Wilson. A clash. Uh, so what, is, what do you think that means? Is it just an argument across a, a giant, shiny, wooden table? Well, you know, I think this first sentence says a lot. It says, sources claim there's a clash with Michelle Wilson, the co-president of WWE, who took on a co-president title at WWE Studios at well as well. Mm. And if you think about the old structure of WWE, there was different heads that reported straight up to Vince. So in the old structure, for instance, WWE Studios reported up to Vince. Uh, In the old structure, International reported up to Vince. And what has happened over time here is less and less people report directly to Vince and more and more people report to Michelle or George. And I, I strongly think that that's a good example of where your fiefdom at one point was this big and now it's this big. I'm making hand gestures here that you can see so well. Um, but the challenge with that is going to be, you know, Vince McMahon is a top-level guy. He's not a guy that I think likes reading big, long decks by people. And so he might say, what's the big picture? And if you give him a story that he likes, he's good to go. And Michelle Wilson, 
strikes me as someone who's much more likely to get in the weeds with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, considering the frankly abominable performance of the WWE Studios division, uh, I don't think it's surprising at all that people would put more scrutiny on them and that there would be at times clashes because you have very long production cycles on these things. And so it's very difficult to, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, uh, folly around the 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 expenses that you've already poured into something. And that you sometimes then will decide to keep a poor endeavor going just because you'll think of all the money you've already spent on it and then say, well, it's even worse if I stop it dead in its tracks rather than sometimes recognizing the the sunken cost fallacy that that can be existing. And so I, I do wonder, you know, even when they talk about the Marine and Oculus and the call and fighting with the family and things like that, people very much overstate the successes or have not actually studied the balance sheets well enough to understand what did or didn't turn a profit for this company. Mm-hmm. So it looks like uh, Lucy's out. He's going to be replaced by a business affairs executive, Timothy Schmidt. And um, he previously uh, was a – well, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. I guess the, the new line Miramax and Weinstein Company lines were probably Lucy, not uh, Schmidt, right? I, I don't know. Well, if we look at his, the LinkedIn page for Michael Lucy, okay, uh, which you have you have carefully uh, connected here, yes, it mentions uh, a couple things of him doing, and it does not in any way mention the WWE. Oh, there it goes, president of WWE Studios. But it shows that he ended in August of 2018, and he lasted from January 2011 to August 2018, and his other positions have all been um, adjunct professor boards and members of trustees boards mm-hmm. and things like that. And he used to work at Miramax F- Films for 12 years from 1998 to July of 2010. And uh, he worked at New Line from 86 to 88 uh, when he was very young, probably. Um, right out of college. Versus Timothy Schmidt, this other guy that's going to be taking over. Yeah, he seems be, shows- He's going to be an interim president, apparently, according to that report. Yeah. So his new, his new title is Head of Business Affairs and Operations at WWE. Uh, he's been with the company for only a year and four months, and he's, quote, responsible for all business, legal, and operations and business development functions for WWE Studios, the film and television division of WWE. Used to work for well, MSG. You see that yeah, there? used to be a, uh, you work for the Weinstein Company, he used to be an attorney, he used to be an uh, a EVP of business development for MSG, he was a senior vice president at Miramax, um, he was an attorney at a couple other places. And even used to work for the city of New York City. Um, but what's intriguing with this is just kind of going back towards all the things that have happened recently. So uh, I'll let you summarize. You you went ahead and you pulled 2007 through 2017. And mm-hmm. keep in mind, Lucy came in in 2011. So we should, we should view him in kind of the second half of these years. But you pulled both the revenue and then also a measure here that was either OIBDA or profit contribution. Uh, they switched which measure they give us over time. Yeah. Uh, and they actually have even changed the definition of adjusted OIBDA year over year. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's going to be the same for this. There, There is no um, such thing as a metric called profit, as it turns out, which I learned uh, some time ago. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, how, how have they done? So what would you – start off with revenue. So what does WWE Studios revenue look like? Last year, it was $18.6 million. And that was that was the highest in about – Eight years. Mm-hmm. 
It was almost twice as high as it had been. It was Uh, the highest since 2011 when it was $20.9 million in revenue. Yeah. What's important to remind people is is that uh, WWE Studios kind of went through two big models. The first model was much more of a theatrical model, and that's when you had everything from The Condemned, uh, uh, not No Holds Barred, what is it, See No Evil, (laughs) and uh, The Marine coming out in traditional theater releases. And this meant really big budgets, but also then really delayed revenue streams because you you had to go to actual traditional distribution models. And this meant very high revenue, but it actually wasn't all that profitable. And sometimes it wasn't profitable until that movie then moved from the the distribution movie world to the direct-to-DVD world. And so a lot of times the revenue you're bringing in was very uh, uh, disjointed from the release schedule. And then at the same time, you were spending a lot on producing new new films. And that was eating up a lot of your, your revenue you were generating. So uh, the company in 2007 did $16 million, $25 million the next year, $8 million the next year, $20 million, $21 million. And then around that time, they pivoted. And they said, we're going to stop doing big theatrical releases. And instead, we're going to co-finance films like like um, The Call with Holly Berry. We'll put in some of the capital for it. And then additionally, we'll, we'll concentrate a lot more on direct-to-DVD stuff. And even more so, we'll, we'll concentrate more on kind of partnership films where we might make a partner uh, a film deal with maybe Warner Brothers. And, hey, we're going to do Scooby-Doo at WrestleMania mystery type thing or Jetsons or other kind of properties like that. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of lend our IP to kind of partner with these people. Um, what was the profitability of WWE Studios over these years? There are, let's see, one, two, three, four years in the last 11 when they've made a profit. Um, most recent year, 2014, they made a grand total of a half a million dollars. There's other years, well, this most recent year, 2017, they lost $3.6 million in a weed on it. Uh, the worst year was 2011 when they lost $29 million in a weed $27.6 million profit contribution. Yeah. And as I recall, I think it was the condemned and see no evil that ended up just destroying them. It, they took giant write downs where they yeah. had assumed they were doing really well in the revenue and it did not go nearly as well. Yeah. Uh, the see no evil ended up kind of turning itself around a little bit on the home video market. Uh, the Marine, the first Marine movie is probably the most successful thing they've ever done. Which came out in what year? Uh, I think the first Marine movie, the one starring John Cena, that would have been like 2007. 2006 is when it was released, yeah. Mm. And I think they got most of the revenue for that in 2007. Okay. So even uh, that was made, not they, profitable. Was, was the Marine profit, a profitable movie? Very profitable. Okay. Yes. It made $24 million in home sales and rentals. Mm-hmm. It, it, it did very well. So yeah, it it was one of the few times that they ever did do better. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, it has been a very unprofitable area. You know, when they were losing $30 million in 2011 and $28 million in, in uh, 2012. I'm sorry, that's the same number, same year, 2011. Um, but it, it in Michael Lucy's time here, he's made an aggregate negative many millions of dollars for the company on, on profitability. Yeah, so, so why does this segment of business exist, W Studios, or the, this is an entire uh, department for them, right? And by the way, it's, it's, they're headquartered 
W Studios is headquartered in LA, right? While yeah. the rest of the company is headquartered in Stanford. Uh, but why, why, does, why does this segment of business continue to exist? Is there any chance you think that W Studios is going to be done away with? Well, for years and years and years, I've I've rattled the uh, the the story that yes, WWE Studios is a business that needs a new direction. So this year, for for the Business Partner Summit, they discussed what their new WWE Studios vision was. And when I say they discussed, it was George and Michelle. They didn't even put Michael up there to discuss anything. Uh, but they basically said WWE Studios is going to be about theatrical releases, home entertainment, linear television, all genres of kind of programming. And then they went in and they got deeper and they talked more about the, you know, the HBO documentary on Andre the Giant, the XFL documentary, um, things like that as examples of where they partnered to work on things. Why does it exist? It exists because I think WWE thought it would bring them cachet in the marketplace that they thought it would be part of kind of the, the vision of WWE as an entertainment property. That's why we're world wrestling entertainment and the entertainment conglomerate element of it. Otherwise you're a wrestling pr- program that sells t-shirts and has a network subscription service. Mm-hmm. And of course they started way before they had a network subscription service Two, it was an opportunity to partner with their DVD distribution companies, especially I think when DVD distribution kind of went down and WWE started to say, oh, well, there's all this content out there where we could maybe we could get in on the entertainment game and people would take us seriously. And the reality is, is they were never taken seriously. They were always treated like a second tier, you know, distribution marketplace. Um I think they really thought for a while there it was going to be a vehicle to push their stars. You know, the idea was Randy Orton, John Cena, they're going to become stars because they're 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 starring in these movies and that it's going to be like Hulk Hogan, where they're going to have a larger than life presence. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, John Cena certainly broke through. And very few other people did, you know, to some degree, I think the Miz has much more recognition than people might give him credit for. Did John Cena break through? I, I guess doing the w, doing the Marine, for example, gave him the experience to do the other things that he's done, which are not WWE productions. Yeah. I mean, it's the same question of would the rock still be a movie star if he hadn't been in wrestling? Yeah. He's got all these talents. He got all these skills. He's got this pedigree. All that makes him a really good wrestler. Mm -hmm. It's very questionable whether he would have been lost in the shuffle. Had he not had wrestling to jump out. You look at his earliest work, Scorpion King and things like that. He's decent, but he's not incredible. So uh, my suspicion is like, is this stuff ultimately beneficial to WWE? Uh, even in the case of The Rock, like, if he doesn't do movies, he wrestles more. He draws more money for your company. If Cena doesn't do movies, maybe he wrestles more. He draws more money for your company. Uh, the, well, the lo- I've, I've, heard it, I've heard it put the other way around. Let me reward you for being a good wrestler by letting you go to a movie. Hmm. You know, I, I heard... Someone once passing a story to me that was basically saying Dean Ambrose was like, so let me get this straight. I show up, I throw some worked punches and we call that a day and you pay me and you, you, you take care of my travel. You take care of my lodging. You take care of my food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they were kind of starstruck that, you know, being treated as an actor was way better than getting treated as a wrestler. Mm-hmm. So I've even heard it the other way around where it's a reward for you're doing a good job. Let's find another way to give you some money. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like for the, for the company, if this is 
to try to get them to be perceived in the business world as something more than wrestling. Do producing these direct-to-video movies really help in that? I always felt that part of the, the fundamental... Or do they only reinforce the image of, of, of wrestling? Oh, well, the wrestling company has a movie uh, department, but they only put out direct-to-release movies. You know, Or they partner with some, some other successful movies. But the movies that they put out on their own are The Marine, The Condemned, and things like that. The, well, um, I think... I the, think the, that's the, the always movie been a where, where Rusev is pulling guns on people and so forth. Well, it's a disconnect because the the company more and more says we're about the brand, we're about the brand, we're about the brand, mm-hmm. and then it's harder and harder to say why do you care about the wrestler? You know, we forget Ted DiBiase starred in you know one of the Marines. We forget uh, that one of the most successful films WWE ever did was the Miz's Christmas Holiday film because it was paid for. And they already made a profit by what they made because they got right. They sold it to like one of the TV networks. And so they already had made money on it by the day it aired. You know, there's those sort of things where like we forget what did, was and wasn't successful in this thing. Oh, Ted DiBiase was, Jr. was in the Marine. Not yes. uh, the million dollar man should have been in the oh, Marine. Did you, think, did you think I meant million dollar man? I, I, they just put in an image in my head of like. You know, the, <laughs> the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, like being this evil villain in a movie. He would be great in a movie, but yeah. I think, I think Summer Rae was in one of the Marines as well. Yeah. And yeah, uh, it, it's, I, I think it's a fundamental disconnect. And then, you know, at one point it was probably meant to be an enticement to say, hey, Ronda Rousey, sign with WWE. Plus we'll put you in movies. We have a movie division. Mm. Um, and there was always that idea of, oh, you can be an action star. You can be a whatever. We but haven't heard anything specific that Rousey's going to be in a WWE film. Right. Yeah. Who is Rousey? No, no, we haven't, but she's acted in other films. Mm -hmm. So I'm just putting a, a a hypothetical out there, which was if you ever wanted to say, Hey, I'm an athlete, but I want to be treated more like the rock than I want to be treated like a football player. Mm -hmm. You go and say, well, why don't you go work for WWE? They've got an entertainment division, Mm -hmm. but the, the reality is that their track record you know, is very mixed there. It would be very curious to see what they do with that pandemonium script, the yeah. biopic about Vince McMahon's life. Yeah. You know, people could argue that the Andre, the giant documentary was one of the best things WWE ever did. One of the best things WWE ever did was the XFL documentary, but they were not the primary producer of either of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, they cooperated, which is very different. Yeah. Um, did you know Teddy so- Biasi and Virgil had a falling out? Because Virgil booked independent wrestling, booked them for independent wrestling events without DiBiase knowing about it. Do I believe that happened? Absolutely. According to an interview in ES- on ESPN.com in 2016. Um, anyway. So, you know, I was going through like old quotes, like Vince McMahon in Q4 2011 talked about uh, how disappointed he was in Q4 2011's performance. And he was just saying, you know, the new film strategies did not work out probably in all likelihood. Uh, if the, I'm sorry. If I mentioned that the new strategies don't work out in all likelihood, we'd be out of the film business. This was in 2011. He said yeah. this. And, and that, that's, that's the year that that Lucy the, came in. Yes. The loss. That's the year that the losses are the biggest too. Yes. And that was the year there was a ton of investors yelling at them. Why do you keep this up? Yeah. 
And he said, I still feel strongly that the new strategy will work under Mike Lucy because it concentrates on more significant change relative to our approach, increasing partnerships with the major studios and specific ones in specific genres and a better terms of distribution and things of that nature. So I'm not just hopeful, but I feel really strongly under this new guidance and this new approach that the film is really going to work despite the previous performance and that we've ri- pretty much written off all the cost of our old stuff by now by impairments and things of that nature. Hmm. And so, you know, the other part is that the, they get tons of film credits. They get tons of, you know, like tax breaks to run the films and make them in certain places. So there was always a lot of a a, um, a game around what they were doing with this stuff. But he, he mentioned at one point that he thinks that the internal uh, return on, on uh, investment for like, you know, this division would be like 15% which I don't think they've ever gotten close to a 15% return on their WWE Studios investment. Mm-hmm. Maybe on a revenue basis, but definitely not on a profit basis. Uh, I, I, I would be hard-pressed to believe that, that they've ever come close. So now when they talk about WWE Studios, they'll include Total Divas, Total Bellas. And if you remember, that was never really part of exactly the WWE Studios model. That that was always very separate. And I think that's that that's going to be one way that they're going to almost sugarcoat or make it seem like it was much more successful than it really is. Is basically by including the TV segment, which has always been break even or profitable, with the WWE Studios segment, which has been mostly losing money. Um, it's going to be interesting. And then you know they did learn things along the time. Is that you can't walk into the to this business and come in fresh and expect to get it all right. And they were incredibly naive. And what they ended up specializing in is stuff that I think originally people probably could have told them to do more of like horror films that have much more of a certain marketplace and cartoons, which they probably didn't understand at first how they could get their foot in the door with. But uh, I don't know. It's just one of those things where I've, I've ranted and raved about the WWE studios for years and years. And uh, to see Michael Lucy out, I think it's kind of one of the final nails in the coffin because that, that entire revenue stream has already begun to uh, dissipate. You know, now we see that there's a media segment, and in that media segment, there's network, there's core content rights fees, there's advertising and sponsorship, and there's other. And, and that other category media. pretty much includes WWE Studios today. And it includes what we talked about on, on the uh, the premium show. It includes digital media as well. Like 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 the Mixed Match Challenge show or money they get from YouTube. Yeah. So it's it, it's quite the other catch-all. And in fact, the reason it grew from, from uh, $9 million in Q1 to $60.6 million has nothing to do with any of those things. Because the reason it went up by so much, the $45 million was probably due to Saudi Arabia money more than anything else, which has nothing to do with WWE Studios, Mix Match Challenge, or a bologna sandwich. You know, it's, it's totally out there. Um, lastly, uh, did Michael Lucy make any money out of WWE. Well, he, he got paid well, I'm sure. And he sold a lot of stock. A lot of stock. In this last year alone, in mm-hmm. two months, this August month. 16th, he sold 12,000 shares. Yeah. He made $985,000 on it. Yeah. July 23rd, he sold 17,000 shares. He made $1.4 million on that. And in fact, he still has shares left. Mm. His portfolio, uh, as of the last document, Mentioned, uh, oh, you're looking at this different than I am. Um, mm. Let's see here. Well, you got the link there, too. I do. Here, I got it. It said that he still held uh, 69,046 shares. 
And let's assume that he could get about 80 bucks a share. That's $5.5 million. So he, uh, he's going to walk out of this getting somewhere on the scale of $8 million in stock, mm-hmm. at least. And what's hilarious is a year ago, he sold 13,000 shares and 7,000 shares. So he sold 20,000 shares a year ago, and he made less than half a million dollars for it. This year, he sold less than 20,000 shares, and he made a million bucks for it. That's how much the stock has gone up. So if there was ever a time to get kicked out of the company and uh, divest yourself of all the stock, now is the time. And if there's ever a time to just kind of call it a, call it quits and hold on to that stock and just play with the house's money, now is that time. And there's no requirement for him to immediately sell the stock because he's leaving the company. He can hold Most on to that. Not. No, yeah. no. I mean, he it's obviously going to impact um, how he gets additional shares going forward because some of these shares are, are granted as kind of warrants that you know are based on performance and they may not all be paid out at the same time. Hmm. So, so he, he may still have. He may still have to get shares. Yeah, okay. He still it's may also have stock. Possible that he might have given up the ability to get those future shares. Okay. But I'll be very curious to see if there's any any you know kind of disclosures talking about him leaving. Um, but it looks like his LinkedIn shows that he left. It looks mm-hmm. like that uh, this deadline article shows that he's left. And yeah, like we said, WWE Studios is increasingly a footnote in the the filings that is harder and harder to break out. So uh, WWE has finally accomplished the impossible, which is to hide WWE Studios revenue for me from ranting so that I don't have a heart attack. Yeah, I just searched the proxy. His salary is not listed in the proxy for 2017. I don't know what he's making in in terms of a corporate salary. Oh, I I think he's making probably half a million dollars or more. Yeah. I would assume he's, he's on par with the other officers of the company as a president title. Yeah. All right, you've been listening to WrestleNomics Radio. Just a reminder, WrestleNomics Radio will be uh, appearing at the Hyatt Regency in Schaumburg, Illinois on Sunday, September 2nd on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, the stage that is held by Podcast Movement slash Westwood One. It's the lobby of the hotel where the StarCast convention is going, which means you don't need a ticket to attend. You just need uh, patience and the willingness to uh, cringe repeatedly as Mookie tries to pronounce Japanese words. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, back you up, though. So it'll be all right. 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. WrestleNomics Radio, 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, show up a day early, and you can see our friends at Post Wrestling doing the 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. slot. Uh, we'll be at the All In Show. We'll be at the uh, the Q&A for Wrestling Observer Radio. We'll be uh, probably hanging down at the, uh, the gym. Brandon will spot you if you uh, need a spotter. There's a gym? At the hotel, I'm sure there's going to be a gym. Okay. We're going to work out. Gym, right? We're going to do. You're going to work out. Yeah, gonna I'm going to mark orders to you like a, like like run like a judo gym Lavelle. I'll come with a stopwatch around my uh, my neck. Okay, you want to do like uh, do, you, do you think they'll have a squat rack there? <laughs> Is the gimmick now that we have to squat uh, I, that Mookie has to squat the number of pounds of of uh, uh, patron supporters we have? And that Brandon still has to get a tattoo if we have a hundred by the time of the show. I'm okay with the first part of that. <laughs> I assume that's the tattoo section. Sounds good to me. Thanks everyone for checking it out. If you want to hear the premium show, where again we go over uh, uh, New Japan revenue numbers mm-hmm. through the last 35 years, uh, Kairos legal fees, and YouTube and WWE, plus a whole bunch of banter. Uh, 
Check out WrestleNomics.com. $5 or more gets you unlimited access to our audio here and uh, gets you all the notes, including our document here, which has Linda McMahon holding a nail gun in the air. Very happy. Yes. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.